Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by the NHTSA. Everyone knows about the risks of driving drunk. You could get in a crash. People could get hurt or killed, but that still doesn't stop everyone. You could get arrested. You could incur huge legal expenses, and you could possibly even lose your job. We all know the consequences of driving drunk, but one thing's for sure. You're wrong if you think it's no big deal. Drive sober or get pulled over. I need sports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com and we have a really special one today. I'm joined as always by Andy Greenwald. Andy, say hi. Hi, I'm feeling a little undersold here, well, but I, I have get a it. Lot no appellation for you. There are bigger names to come. That's Sean Fennessy. We're also joined by Amanda Dobbins. They host a podcast called The Big Picture. This is part two of a conversation that we have begun on The Big Picture feed. So this is a two-parter. It's the dog days of summer. And we arrive at a bit of a crossroads, a crossroads between mediums wow. where TV and movies seem to be changing lanes. Yeah. And you're Robert Johnson. And not signaling. That's right. <laughs> uh, I made a deal with the devil and I wound up at Sean Fennessy's backyard having a socially distanced podcast, but I got everything I wanted out of life. Is someone here Woody Johnson? <laughs> Different. Um, not here, please. Yeah. No Jets talk. Sorry. No bands. What we're doing here is serious because we're talking about this crucial moment, this inflection point that's happening in the world of movies and television where they seem to be resembling one another in these weird ways. We started this conversation on The Big Picture. We talked a lot about some of the movies that are in theaters that you can see this weekend to some of the movies that you might want to see that are nowhere near you that are in theaters in other parts of the world that only Tom Cruise can go see him and Adam Neyman. But... We're not talking about Tenet, and we're, talking about, we're not talking about New Mutants. We're talking about the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of television that are at your fingertips. And yet, sometimes I get the feeling like people are still bored. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. People or Chris Ryan? Folks, I'm not bored. I've been enjoying television Many this people are saying. Okay. But I'm, I'm doing this podcast. Andy's here with me, and we, we talk about TV almost every week. But Amanda and Sean, I think it's fair to say, have sometimes sounded a skeptical note oh. about television. Whoa! Sure, I think that's fair. Uh, whether it's whether it's as prestigious as it says it is, mm-hmm. whether it's as uh, necessary to their daily happiness or their daily enjoyment of pop culture, I'm not. This, it, these are this became tweets. like a character attack. No, 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 no. I'm trying minutes. to we set it up. I welcome the it. Other, I'm trying I mean, to set it up because okay. I, I really, I think you, you guys offer a very good uh, gut check when it comes to you know. I feel obligated to watch at least an episode or two of X, Y, Z. A, B, C, D, E, F, G show, which are dropping every Friday. And then, you, but sometimes you guys come through and you're like, we sure it's good? What, one thing that I love about this, just again, because everyone knows I like to like, you know, go behind the curtain a little bit, a little meta. We've really established in just a few short moments that the big picture is a place for big ideas, respectful conversation, top, <laughs> top, top of the line guests. And this is the morning zoo. Right. This, is, uh, this is Shock Jock. This is Gotcha Radio. <laughs> And you guys are you guys are in Thunderdome now, so get ready. Uh, I'm I'm on the balls of my feet, and I'm ready to pounce at all of this 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 setup here. This this is it a personal attack? It's not. It's not. We're talking well, about yeah, it's. It, it, let's not say what kind of attack it is. It's an attack. I, I think it's it's interesting that you frame this conversation, this part of this conversation, this way. Because I will say, in creating an outline for this conversation, which we you pointed out, I did on the last episode. Thank you, Sean. Um. I had a much easier time writing down a whole bunch of TV shows that I liked than I did finding movies that I liked. And I actually think this has been a wonderful year for television and there's more great TV than there's ever been, obviously. For example, Briar Patch, 
Congratulations, Andy. Oh, thanks. Now I'm on their side again. Chris. <laughs> That's really all it takes. And, and now we have the numbers and you're <laughs> fucked, Chris. Uh, but just generally speaking, obviously there's more to choose from because of the pandemic this year and there are more TV shows that got onto the world than movies. So that's that's a factor. But generally speaking, I think there's like a lot here that I'm excited to talk about that we don't get a chance to talk about on our show. That is true. I It was interesting reading this list, which I'll be honest. And, and I think, Chris, when you were talking about how we like besmirch television. No, I think you're just like a little bit sometimes you're like, let's calm down, guys. To well, the world. I, th- I think you're, I, for me, that's true. For me, that is true. I think also, that is true. I love this because what do I do then? <laughs> the thing with me, honestly, is that I don't watch that much TV. Right. And I honestly, I often feel like a, a weirdo because I feel like everyone around me all the time is just, you know, watching 10 episodes of stuff. And like, did you see this one? And did you see that one? And I do think at the last five years, and maybe this is tapering off a bit, but like, you go out to a bar, you go out to a restaurant. I mean, it's tapering off because we'll never do that again, I guess. But the conversations you have with people, what are you watching? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. and what else are you watching? And did you catch up with this? And, I, you know, I did my best to catch up with things. But number one, I am quite particular. Number two, huge time commitment. And and, and sometimes it's just like, oh, I actually am bad at doing 10 hours of something, which I think is a personal preference. Yeah. So it's not skepticism of TV. And I think there have things on TV this year that I'm just really enthusiastic about. I just have not maybe consumed as much of it as other people. And I am sometimes perplexed by the idea that volume of of production and consumption is such an essential part of the TV process. I also think the wires have gotten crossed in terms of the types of conversation we can and should be having about different mediums. Because again, these are all memories from the old world, the time before. But a hollowed rite of passage among people who like to socialize. I sound like I'm in the 40-year-old virgin. Um, Why don't you just tell me the name (laughs) of the movie that you'd like to see? (laughs) My favorite reference. Um, Go to a movie and then go out for drinks or dinner afterwards. And you talk about the movie. It was a one-off experience. You could talk about beginning, middle, and end. And you shared that experience together. TV, we are all, even more so now, of course, walled off on our own couches, watching things at our own speed, at our own level of attention being paid. And then if we do gather, when we're allowed to gather again, the pressure on that conversation to like stop doing whatever you're doing and talk richly and fully about episode four of something, yes, it's not going to measure up. It does yeah. start to feel like uh, a competition or a race. You know, Maybe you could talk about a complete season of something if everyone there has watched it, but the conversation, the ongoing conversation for a week-to-week show or a show that people are watching at different speeds does, I think, work better online when you can tap in and tap out at your appropriate level. I think movies have two different versions of this that are interesting, and I obviously become acutely aware of them as we've been doing the big picture. One is the event movie. It is Avengers Endgame, and we gather on Thursday night after seeing the first screening, and we, we do the podcast, and we can tell, I can tell right away that people are like, where's the podcast? Yeah. Where's the podcast about this movie? I want to hear what you think about this movie because so this is the most important thing in my life. So when guys come up to you on the street and they're like, so you've, you've now destroyed two elections for the movie draft. You, you, you've sun, like <laughs> ruined democracy and also where's the Avengers pod? That's like the two biggest questions. No one says anything to me about the movie draft except great job. That's what I've learned over time doing these drafts. But no, seriously, like, so there's Avengers Endgame. And then the other version of it is Parasite, which is people watching that mm-hmm. movie the way that many people watch TV, which mm-hmm. is, when they can. Yes. They Parasite doesn't open in 3,000 theaters. It opens over a rolling period of time from the very first showing at Cannes all the way through when it hits Hulu in March after it wins Best Picture. And that conversation, which really powered us through three months of the show, 
was in many ways more interesting to me. But that doesn't, it does feel a lot more like episode four of Stranger Things season three, where you're just kind of kind of having the same conversation over and over again. And I think that's one of the challenges with TV and even having dinner with your friends and talking about a TV show where you're like, what episode are you up to? Oh, you're not up to that oh, part oh, yet. Oh, wait. Oh, yeah. you'll have to wait. Oh, because, yes. Yeah, and yeah. that's Which messes with everything. I mean, th- to me, the thing is like, the TV shows that I liked the best this year so far are the ones that basically just would have been movies 20 years ago. And they've been expanded and stretched out. See, I didn't think you were going to say that. I thought you were going to say... I guess I, I didn't think you were going to say that as a compliment. I thought you were going to say that in a... I, I would like to have just seen the two-hour and 20-minute version of 000 on a big screen. I mean, I might have. I, that still may be true, but that doesn't mean I don't like what I got. Like Mrs. America... Of- 90-minute version of 90-Day Fiance. <laughs> I'm not against it. Million-dollar listing LA. I'll watch it. You know, I'm not above that stuff. But Mrs. America in particular, I was like, I actually definitely don't want nine hours of this. Yep. I, I want two and a half hours, and I would have preferred two and a half hours. But I, it's not as if Mrs. America is bad. It's it, actually brilliant. It's just, it was too much for me. I, I, I agree. And I also, it made me feel... This is not what you want coming from a TV show. I, I should say, preface it by saying my first reaction was, boy, this was impressive. Boy, these are incredible actors just just cooking and working together. And it's fantastic. And it's illuminating aspects of a history that is very relevant that I was sadly not as informed about as I ought to have been. All that being said, I kind of wanted three movies. I yeah. kind of wanted the Shirley Chisholm movie, mm-hmm. you know, or the Gloria Steinem movie or the Phyllis Schlafly movie. The show where it's like, now we're going to give you 60 minutes of one of them. And then 60 minutes of another one. And it's all these puzzle pieces are going to present you a picture. And that picture is going to be kind of choose your own adventure of how you take it. Yeah, and there's going to be an inevitable kind of like start stoppiness to it. It it didn't feel, this is a great one to talk about, I guess, because cumulatively, it did not feel like a season of television. It was a lot of interesting ideas and performances that I slowly accrued because Partly maybe because it didn't feel like television. I did not binge that show. You know? It was more anthology than it was yeah. narrative series where you're kind of waiting for the next beats in the story. Now, obviously, it is telling the story chronologically of a movement, but there are plenty of episodes where the episode ends and, and I just took two months off. I was just like, I don't have to return to this for a long time. It, it, it also fell prey, I think, to one of, the, one of the problems with that type of movie, which is the, the biopic syndrome, where it's like, we better tell you everything about this person we're going to tell it to you because there's truth. And if there's truth, we'll tell you all of it as opposed to, you know, this is, this is the highest minded version of this possible. And I'm only saying, cause I'm looking at the high minded Sean fantasy and I think, feel like you'll appreciate it. But I would, I think I would rather watch the master than a nine part and, anth- you know, mini series about, uh, L. Ron Hubbard. What were you going to say? I was going to say, and, and sorry to betray the sisterhood, but I never finished Mrs. America mm-hmm. for that same anthology reason of kind of, you know, and, and Andy, I, to your point, I, knew some of it, but it was also learning a lot. And I, I think I, on its face, you, like you want to make a, a show about Phyllis Schlafly and the Gloria Steinem and Charlie Chisholm and the ERA, like I, a movie, a TV show. Yes. Sign me up. I would be interested in that. But there was something to, it didn't feel propulsive. Like it didn't feel like it was moving from episode to episode in a way that I had to keep watching. And I, you know, I know I said this on the big picture episode, but that to me is both the distinction Increasingly, the only distinction between TV and movies is mm-hmm. um, that that forward episodic motion. And if the show doesn't have it, then I opt out. So you didn't see the last episode? No. Feminism wins. It's <laughs> incredible. <laughs> I'm sorry for the spoiler. Wow. Congrats. But, <laughs> Congrats. Thanks, guys. But the um, 
I think what you're saying is exactly right. And I think that the more traditional TV version of this was a show that was on Amazon called Good Girls Revolt, which did the more traditional TV thing of lightly fictionalized people mm. in a real historical moment, the more Mad Men thing. And right. that generally, I think, engenders uh, a, a better sense of audience engagement because we're with these characters who happen to be living and reacting to a world as opposed to these totems who are set by their Wikipedia pages projecting and declaiming. That's what I was exactly what I was going to say. So I've had two experiences with this, with TV shows this year. One is Mrs. America and the other is The Great. And The Great is not, is the loosely adapted yeah. story of a historical figure. But there have been times in watching both Mrs. America and The Great when I have wanted to fire up Wikipedia and I'm afraid to find out what happens. Even though the shit happened. It already happened. And shame on me for not knowing what happened to Catherine the Great and shame on me for not knowing what happened with the ERA. Yeah, we don't have it, just FYI. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I knew that much, but I was sort of like, are some of these people dead? Are they not dead? You know, you, your natural curiosity that comes when you're experiencing episodic television about real people is fascinating. And the idea of like a no-spoiler culture around historical docudrama is perverted. It's just a stupid way to go about thinking things. But I do want to be entertained in yeah. addition to that. I wonder whether or not some of the anxiety that we're all expressing here has something to do with television going through a similar moment than the movies are in very different ways. But movies are a medium that has had its venue. It's it's essentially, it's like arena taken away from it, right? So now we're watching a lot of these movies. We talked a lot about Palm Springs on the, on the big picture on these streaming services. TV, while I think we've all gotten kind of used to the idea of either binge watching or not watching along on the same schedule. For some reason over the last couple of months, I found it more and more difficult than ever to figure out where everybody is in these seasons. And I think part of it, Andy started talking about this towards the end of the big picture episode, but this idea that these shows are all just tiles inside of a streaming service that you call up on your app or on your, on your browser or whatever, that there isn't really any kind of it's not that there's no merchandising. It's not that they don't try to make these things into special moments or like, hey, guess what? On Thursday at midnight, this is coming out. Like there is that to it. But a lot of what you were talking about in the beginning, Amanda, about going to meet somebody at a bar and talking about it was tied to the idea of whether or not you watched Lost on Wednesday mm -hmm. or whether or not you watched Mad Men on Sunday. And then you kind of had these markers. I've tried to recreate that over the last couple of months. Like I watched Perry Mason once a week. I watched... I may destroy you once a week. I could have gone forward with those. I had screeners. But I liked the idea of having this sort of extended experience with these pieces of art, these pieces of culture. I don't, I don't know how you guys are feeling about that, that model right now. There have been a few examples that I've done, and they've two shows that I really liked a lot. Um, Devs, which I know is very divisive in general. But is, to me, is just a movie. I mean, he just he made an Alex Garland movie and it's his version of the Decalogue. It just happens to be that long. You know, he just is doing all the things that he likes to do in his films and transporting it into the TV model. And it's frankly not as propulsive as TV wants it to be. And that's part of the reason why people didn't like it. And that's part of the reason why I loved it. I love, I love films like that. I love Tarkovsky movies. He tried to make a Tarkovsky movie on FX. That was really cool to me. And the other was The Outsider, which was a week-to-week what's going to happen? It's a whodunit. It's a supernatural whodunit. But to me, that did seem like it could have just been a really good Stephen King movie. And I love sure. really good 80s and 90s Stephen King movies. That's one of my favorite subgenres in the world. And by the time we got to the end of The Outsider, and I feel like you guys talked about this on the show, I was like, okay, like we get it. Like, Do we need to have the big, noisy, explosive denouement? Like, can we just keep going or close it up? Or I, you know, And that's kind of the downside, I think, of having that week-to-week -week thing too is you finally do get the get to the end and it doesn't always pay off. I may destroy you paid off, 
I think, the way that, they, that she concluded that show. But it doesn't always, that's not always the case. The only week-to-week show that I've watched in 2020, and I don't even know how this happened, uh, is Defending Jacob on Apple TV. <laughs> <laughs> I actually do know how that happened, and it's Bill Simmons uh, who asked me to watch it. But they were doing a, a week-by-week yeah, release Yeah, kind model. of like the Hulu style, yeah. And, you know, it did work for that because that show, while being a miniseries, was really just a procedural. And it was kind of like a procedural inflated to eight weeks and like is Chris Evans gonna figure it out or is Chris Evans gonna like you know be a bad lawyer and a good dad find out next week right um but otherwise I have entirely been watching streaming shows or I guess yes all streaming shows at my own pace and finishing like very few of them or something like The Great which I want to talk more about because I think there is like a very literal movie antecedent to it of in recent memory. Yeah. It's called The Favorite. Sure. Um, and I'm really enjoying The Great, but uh, my husband and I like watched one episode every night for like five days because that's where we are with our TV consumption. And then we traveled for a few days and completely forgot. And we just like have not gotten back into the rhythm. And there is something about if you don't find that initial rhythm or it's not given to you yes. in the case of like, you know, network or like weekly allotments. You can lose it really quickly. Oops. The Great is a great example um, because I really love the show. I really admire the show. I'm very impressed by the show. I haven't finished the season for exactly the same reason. Partly because... You should only now just be finishing the season, I think. Or like recently. Yeah. Like if they had Based on parceled that out. out. Like, right. We okay, have to be but, fair to ourselves. Like but, some people stay home all day Saturday and can crush a season. But like... I, I agree. But I, but I do think that in, in relation to the conversation about movies... It's a very specific hang in a very specific world. I like the hang. I think it's hilarious. I love the ideas behind it. I love the performances. I love the approach to the material and to the medium. But I don't have a ton of confidence that episode eight is going to be appreciably different than episode three. Mm -hmm. It's just more of that. Mm -hmm. And when it's a movie, you do all of that in two hours and you're done. With a TV show, I mean, I'm, I guess I'm grateful. This isn't a complaint that I can dip in and dip out when I'm feeling a little bit arch about history. But it, I don't feel the propulsion and need to continue it that I have felt with other more traditionally plotted and structured TV shows. Quick question. Do you think that's because you know how history turns out? Um, no, I'm completely <laughs> ignorant of history. I assume. Guys, no one knows the, the top line on Catherine the Great here? Do, do not spoil it. Okay. Straight up. <laughs> I, I, I assume she was great. It's in the title, but that's fine. Do not, do not spoil it. Okay. I assume she was great. Okay. Right? Like the show. I mean, I know what ha- I know what happens, okay. but I don't want to know what happens, okay. if right. that makes sense. That was sort of what I was trying to put my finger on before. Well, I, did, I think that that show is probably also like taking out its, its own liberties with how they execute something like that. I do think that there is an, an a mass to certain shows, though. This is what kind of what I wanted to touch on briefly because I, I do want to get to a couple of different kind of sort of subgenres of the kinds of TV that have been on over the last six, seven months. But there are certain shows, Mrs. America, I think in its own way, Outsider, Devs, 000, that feel like this is going to be a journey. You know what I mean? Like they do feel like that almost like I'm going to be in the movie theater for five hours kind of feeling. Mm-hmm. And I wonder whether or not we're just so used to talking about this stuff so much that whether like an average TV watcher is like, oh, this 000 got served to me on the algorithm. I enjoy Jack Ryan and Narcos. I will enjoy this sh- this movie or this show. I call it a movie because it's shot like one. And I feel the same way about a lot of this stuff. 
do you think people are making those distinctions still? Do you think, or do you think that actually rather that the the sort of weight of these shows matters to people? By weight, you mean subject matter or length and size? Subject matter and also the density with which like the show is presented. It's not it's not a fleet of foot show. You know what I mean? TV is sometimes at its best when it's most economical. It's moving. It's getting you to the next week well, and the next episode. One thing that we will never know that I would love to know is drop-off data. You know, in the old days of the Nielsen ratings, you could see a show that premiered really big, like Twin Peaks did, and then the longer they went without revealing killer, fewer and fewer people watched until, it be, you know, it, of course, in retrospect, there were still tens of millions, but you could see the mm-hmm. trend line was people were not finishing what they had started. My guess is that the people who, maybe that a show like Devs, a show like Zero Zero Zero, may have started in a similar place in terms of numbers when they premiered on their respective services, but I would bet based on nothing other than my own intuition on it, that a much higher percentage of people who started 000 finished it than people who watch devs, purely for the type of entertainment it is. Yeah. You know, and that that those numbers mean a lot internally. I'm not entirely sure what they mean because is the goal of these services to just hook people to start stuff or do they want you to go to the next one? Or they want you to start something and then be recommended something else? Like what it, what is the value add or value lost for... FX on Hulu if X number of million people watch Devs 101, but only Sean Fennessy watched Devs 1012 or whatever it was. So there's probably only so much I can say about this because of my day job, but there's two, those are two metrics you're talking about. One is time spent and the other is completion rate. And what is the difference and what is the value? It's different at every company. It's different at every corporation. To be clear, when you say your day job, you mean shipping illegal narcotics <laughs> on ocean <laughs> I mean uh, working as the body double for dark side in the Justice League expanded <laughs> shoot deep call back to the big picture up there that you. I would Just, watch um, yeah. um, and uh, who knows who knows what's more important to Amazon Prime is it better to have had four episodes of 000 completed or is it better to have had one person watch you know nine hours of Jack Ryan over the course of six months, but not finish season two. Like, I, don't, I, I candidly don't know. I mean, ultimately what they want is subscribers. They want dollars. They want a people participating in these services. And so many of the conversations that Amanda and I have been having on the show and that you guys are having on the show is this, this moment where while movies are going through this convulsion, TV is going through this great building period. It's like a new industrial age. It's also very complicated and opaque what's what value means right i think and and correct me if i'm wrong about this but my sense of the movie industry is it's still i mean pre-pandemic anyway it's pretty cut and dry right you spend a certain amount of money you release it in theaters around the world and then you hope for the best and that's your that's your profit right something like devs which we keep bringing up but is worth discussing in this context is it almost dev it you can't judge the success of devs as a project based on how many people watched it or were talking about it. Because in addition to it being worthwhile, which I think it was, it was a big signal flare to the industry that FX is no longer bound by the basic cable uh, restrictions that it had been, that it would go all in on something that you could watch without commercials, that could run long, that could be super weird, that could, you know, I I know that they've allowed cursing and stuff, but that could just be a much more adult type content, that they want to work with filmmakers, and that they want to go for it. And and also that F, that FX is now a brand on Hulu. So it's all that kind of intercompany integration that's informing decisions that get made about what TV shows get greenlit now. And that feels a lot more convoluted and uh, tough, harder to parse than films. You mentioned 
basically time commitment earlier when you were talking about one of the hurdles that you have when it comes to the overwhelming amount of choices of TV to watch. There have been a few examples this year. My, I May Destroy You, High Fidelity. I'm sure I, I'm just blanking on a couple of the other ones that are just a lot more digestible because of their episodic runtime. Yeah. Do you find yourself more willing to give something a chance, Amanda, if it's 30 minutes? Yes. In the sense of I open up or I click play and you see that 30 minutes. And and that really does transform your entire viewing experience and your attitude towards it and like how much you're going to lock in and what you're expecting in terms of pacing and what you're expecting in terms of that propulsiveness yeah. vaulting you towards the next episode. Even so, for something like normal people. Yeah. So, yes, I think that that is true, that the, the bite-sizedness of it almost just seems to me like just a recognition of, okay, this actually, this will be episodic. Like this, this will be broken up and we understand how you're watching it and we understand what we are, what this is and go on the journey with us. I find that I kind of get lost in episode four, like the hour long episode four. Especially when they're like, yes, like 64 a, minutes. Yeah, yeah. Like an eight episode, you know, very dark in the literal sense, like TV show that really honestly could have been a movie, but like no one had, you know, any idea how to edit. And that's when it, the slog, which you guys talk about all of the time of just like these three episodes were just because people had extra budgets or actually actually had to fill time yeah. on streaming. And that's where you get these shows that I think have come and gone, which is sort of, I think part of this is because there's so much that it's it's inevitable that there are going to be titles that you're like, oh, okay, it's coming, it's coming. And it's like, oh, did you know that that aired? Did you know that that's been out for six weeks? Did you know that 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 they've decided to not bring that back or they're going to have a season two and we didn't even get to see season one, really? There are shows like Tales from the Loop, Quiz, Dispatches from Elsewhere, Plot Against America, our beloved High Fidelity, which has not been renewed for a variety of reasons, uh, Star Trek Picard, which Andy... You know, I know you tried. were very excited about, you know, you tried and search party, which I feel like in some ways I my, me and my wife might be the only people who avidly watch season three of that show that have come and gone. And I wonder whether or not part of it and with these hour long ones, like, for instance, like uh, dispatches from elsewhere, whether people are like, ah, I just don't know if I want to make the commitment. I think it's partly that. But I did want to jump in to say that this is something I've said on on this podcast before, but I think the in many ways, the most critical decision being made in Hollywood it, in any development level is what is the box we're going to put this project into? And if it goes in the right box, eight episode event series, two hour movie, 12 part half hour series, you can win. I mean, that you can determine the project success or failure at that stage. And Star Trek Picard, on the strength of the brand, the IP and Patrick Stewart alone, probably deserves a, another season, which it's gotten and will make at some point once production resumes. But to me, that is an example of not really understanding the box. It's to separate apart from what I've said before about like how most big IP is just about itself now, just eating its own tail. But the feeling of Star Trek Picard was so bizarre because it was Star Trek began as a TV show. John Luke Picard began as a week to week television character, graduated to the movies where he fought the Borg and other things. And then was sort of shoehorned back into the show that felt like a six to eight hour movie starring a character that we knew from movies. It did not attempt to be the TV show again. It wasn't an adventure of the week. It wasn't a deep character study on an older man. It was, let's put him in an adventure, but make it longer. And it felt really odd for that reason. It didn't fit its box. I wonder, I feel like so much of the conversation that we're having is ultimately about marketing. 
not even necessarily about the shows themselves or the movies themselves, but I wonder if this is just a, a question of the our bubbles that we've created yeah, and that, that we create true. on these shows when we're talking about them. And because like, I think about the plot against America on paper, that's the show for me. That is a novel that I love. That is David Simon, who I think is mm-hmm. just an absolute knockout genius and a great cast. Well-timed when it was put out, I had mm-hmm. nothing but time to watch something like that. And I didn't watch it. I don't know why I didn't watch it. I think I was just kind of like, I'll find a moment. This seems important. And then three months later, when it was no longer airing, it wasn't important, quote unquote, to the conversation, to the dialogue, to what people like us tend to drive when we're like, this matters, look at it now. And then it goes away and it goes away. And then those shows more closely resemble these movies and that movie experience that you've been talking about, Andy, where it's like, you sign up the movies in theaters for six weeks and then it goes away. And if it failed or succeeded, who even cares? We don't think about it anymore unless it gets to be on the rewatchables 10 years later. And that does feel like a way in which TV has become more like like yes. movies. Yes. I the plot against America is a really interesting example. I too did not finish it. I started it. Same. I admired it. And I do wonder you're talking about we talked a little bit about this in the big picture episode about context. I have found myself going back to my uh, I don't even know if I want to call it like a passive habit. The shows that I have enjoyed the most this summer and this these last couple of months are the shows that just feel more like old TV like that that give me the pleasure that old TV used to give me. When I say old TV, I don't necessarily mean like Golden Girls. I just mean like I have enjoyed British mysteries like Marcella. I have enjoyed Yellowstone. I've enjoyed Ozark, which is a thriller that's like super high octane and racing through plot. Like what kind of TV have you enjoyed over the last couple of months, Amanda? And is it any different than the kind you were enjoying at this time last year? Yes and no. I mean, I enjoyed Normal People is probably my show of the year. And I, you know, I agree with Sean where like that has similarities to a movie and how it's shot and filmed. But I I think works well in that short episode um, format. And it is also a character study between two people over time. It's also an adaptation of a novel. And until Shauna brought up The Plot Against America, which is a show that I watched one episode of and was like, you know, I like... I respected maybe more than enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. And then I watched the this season on the plot against America two minutes and I was like, cool, so I've got it. <laughs> right. I've got it. Right. The whole thing, <laughs> which is a, a different problem of marketing yeah. for sure. But that accepted, I was going to debut the take that I think um, novels are much better adapted as TV shows. And I think Normal People actually really was able to encompass a lot of what I liked about the Sally Rooney novel. Right. And also, you know, engage with it and maybe offer a different perspectives on some aspects of the Sally Rooney novel, but because it did have a little more time and novels are big and they require a bit more time. I 100% agree with that. I think um, obviously Lonesome Dove being a good example that Chris and I recently discussed, but also there was a thing that for 20 years, mega producer Scott Rudin would announce that he had purchased the rights to a novel as soon as it became the novel of the season. And then almost inevitably those novels would not become anything because he would option them. He would attach a high profile screenwriter and you can't make shout out the corrections, the corrections or freedom or a visit from the goon squad into a movie. They're books and they're much bigger and messier than that. Um, So there's opportunity, I think Mm -hmm. to make them as TV shows, obviously the corrections was attempted and didn't work out. Still would love to see it. If anyone is listening and has a copy of the pilot of Noah Baumbach's corrections, please hit me on cyber. Release the (laughs) bomb. I am available to you. Um, But the thing about plot against America, I, we're all exactly in the same boat with it. I think we all started it, admired it, 
felt like it was for us and didn't continue. Yep. In some ways, a project like that almost outsmarted itself because it was it was it was so pristine and so of the moment that I actually would like to get out of the moment now, please. Totally. And I don't need to see a Nazi was a factor for me of America yeah. at, at the moment. And you know, one of the things that is different, I think I said this on the on the big picture, but this idea, this this compact that I still think matters that if you're sitting on your couch in your home you deserve some element of entertainment you expect it from your tv show and you go and you know you go and expecting that movies i think at this point certainly are pretty clearly delineated that one can in the same year enjoy a marriage story in the theater and avengers endgame in the theater you know that they are both movies but you also have I believe you know you can set your expectations in certain directions and they can both be quote unquote good setting aside the fact that the majority of people in America when they watch TV are still watching like young Sheldon and 90 day fiance if you just just take the stuff that we talk about or that the internet talks about good television that line isn't as delineated this is good fun good this is good this is going to be a tough one good right you know and I think that we are not fully reckoning with that um, certainly the the providers and maybe this speaks to the opaque finances involved but they're not really reckoning with that either they're green there you see announcements for things that are like I, I don't know who that's for but it's a very impressive press release and then you see things they're like well that's a no-brainer and sorting out who's actually watching it and who who will actually commit to watching it is an open question Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Blue Moon. Don't you think once-in-a-blue-moon moments should happen more than once-in-a-blue-moon? Blue Moon is on a mission to celebrate and inspire more of these moments. And with the new Blue Moon Light Sky, you can enjoy the same crisp citrus flavor you expect from Blue Moon with a fraction of the calories and less than four grams of carbs. It's light, refreshing, and it's perfect for a summertime sip. Here's the deal. like, not really going out anymore for the foreseeable future. So I've been cooking a lot in my backyard. I've been cooking on the grill. Avid watch listeners know that this is a challenge for me, but I've enjoyed the process. And there's nothing that goes with grilling like a blue moonlight sky. You're just standing back there, sun's going down, you got the grill warming up, you're ruining a piece of chicken. But it doesn't matter because you're crushing a light sky. It's only 95 calories. It's brewed with a tangerine peel for an authentic citrus aroma and taste that really just perks you up. It's crisp, refreshing, finishes with notes of tropical fruit, and it just has like a touch of sweetness. So it's like almost, I don't know, it's like pre-dinner dessert. It's just like a pick-me-up at the end of your long day. I love it. Great for summertime occasions and perfectly pairs with seasonal favorites like tree tacos, chicken skewers, and summer salads. The next time you are out with friends, if you're so lucky, or enjoying a night in, as more is likely, reach for a Blue Moon. It's a beer you can enjoy every day. You can have Blue Moon delivered by going to get.bluemoonbeer.com and finding delivery options near you. Blue Moon, reach for the moon, celebrate responsibly. Blue Moon Brewing, Golden, Colorado, Ailey. So what are you watching for pleasure, Sean? Like, Well, I was thinking back on the early days of the pandemic when we were oh so young and <laughs> when there was no sports. Yeah. And, and there were no political conventions. And I was watching what became sports for me, which I've talked about before, which is Top Chef, Survivor, competition series you guys went all in on top chef this year mm-hmm. and chris you went all in 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 myriad ways yeah. you watched m- several seasons hmm. of of the show but that was like very early quarantine where i was like i literally can't go anywhere and right. this is giving me an hour to hour like 
marker of time, practically. And But there is no movie comp for those kinds of shows. Like, we have a, a number of different categories here that we can talk about. We can talk about the mega documentary mm-hmm. series. Well, there's also documentary films. You know, you can talk about the, you know, expanded miniseries, but there's also docudrama movies. There's no movie version of Top Chef. There's no movie version of Survivor, which just gives me, or the challenge, which gives me a, a dopamine hit every week. And that to me is one of the, like the great achievements of television, honestly. For, it's one of the reasons why I stick to it in a way that like I think I watch a lot more of it than you do, Amanda, because mm-hmm. you don't usually watch shows like that. And those shows fill a lot of time in your weekly schedule. So in addition to you know loving I May Destroy You, like almost anybody I know who's had a chance to see it, I was also just so grateful to have 22 episodes of Survivor this year. Yeah. I don't mean to confuse your competition argument, but I will just say we did a whole episode about Boy State, um, which is probably as close as you can get to a reality competition movie. And we talked a little bit about kind of like the reality TV edit of that movie and the and the characters and these poor 17-year-olds who find themselves villains in the, in the um, political competition. So, uh, but to me, that just says like, you know, everything continues to be very fungible and it, it may not exist now, but we actually you can make a movie competition as well. I, I'm just as likely to get into the true crime documentary series that has done well as anybody else. And I think that the jinx in making a murderer in Wild Wild Country also kind of fucked up the future of movies. I think they kind of, not just documentary, but just movies. I think that they created a level of addiction and entertainment and what happens next that kind of just changed the idea of consumption. Uh, yeah, I cannot think of anything that I need less than in a fictional or like a narrative adaptation of Tiger King. Exactly. Yeah, and exactly. Yet, We're no, gonna have at least two at or least, three. Right. Yeah. But that's I, gonna I, f- I guarantee you they they will they will not feel real. They yeah. won't fall flat. They won't work. And and you know I'm watching the vow right now on HBO about the Nexium sex cult. And whether you think it's well-made or not, like, I'm watching the whole thing. I definitely will finish that in a way that, like, if I don't finish the great, that will be a tragedy. But I'm going to finish the freaking nine-hour series about Nexium, which I, I couldn't even get myself to read a 3,500-word feature about Nexium. And now I'm watching a nine-hour <laughs> documentary series. What's <laughs> R.I.P. magazines. What, what's worth saying again, uh, and it seems to be kind of the undercurrent of this whole conversation, is that I think it's, despite you know, the the tumult in the industry, it is easier to get your arm around movies and what they are because you go to the movies, go to the movie theater for one reason and that's to see a movie. You stay at home for a lot of reasons. And this year you stay at home for all the reasons. And the same box is giving you a hundred different types of thing. And we're we're even in this just casually jumping from one genre to another, from one type of entertainment to another. Um, when you talk about something like The Vow consuming your time, that isn't necessarily cannibalizing a documentary you go to see at the Arclight. It's cannibalizing the podcast that you might have been listening to mm. that might be compelling, mm-hmm. you know? Or if we're talking about a book adaptation, maybe it's cannibalizing the potential audience for Sally Rooney's next book. I don't know. It, it, I'm just saying it, it, it's, it's, it's such a vast... Uh, it's more than a medium. It's just, it's just a, a box that opens up into a lot of different places. So it's hard to, it's hard to, it's hard to, to consolidate the conversation. It's funny, though, I mean, I'm, I'm obviously very influenced by Bill Simmons on this issue because he's worked on a lot of documentaries over the years. And so Defending Jacob Remains, your show of the year. <laughs> <laughs> well, d- just specifically the idea of the extended documentary is a complicated one because generally speaking, 
I just talked, we just talked about this in the 40 hour version. Like I just kind of want more. I'd rather just have more than less. Even if a doc is five hours and it's too long, I want more. You want the Snyder cut? In a way, yeah. And I think Bill has a much more Catholic point of view around that where he's like, this this should be a hundred minutes and it should tell the story. He's a big believer. Like this is why these things work in the first place. Yes. And he he might be right, but there was never a moment during the last dance where I was like, can we cut this back a little bit? Can we, can we remove 20 minutes from this? Like, I, how many more it, times am I going to get a Michael Jordan documentary? Just give me all of but it. But also, isn't the argument for, I mean, the, the argument that The Last Dance is the show of the year is a, is a strong and compelling one. And one of the things that's interesting about that to me was the number of people, again, this is anecdotal, but it seems to me the number of people who weren't alive or weren't paying attention to sports then, who might not even be NBA fans, who were like, who were drawn in by the week-to-week narrative thrust of this show, which really just speaks to how much people love that kind of storytelling, right? And if it's done expertly, then you will watch it because it hits those familiar beats. And that that's the kind of thing that, that's when TV works. You know, it doesn't matter what it is. If, it, if it's hitting those beats and keeping you glued to the couch and wanting you, leaving you wanting more, that's, because TV, unlike movies, tends to deliver more pretty just- quickly. I just want to say I forgot that I actually did watch The Last Dance is another thing that I watch on a week-to-week basis. But I, for whatever reason, was not qualifying it as a TV show in my head, even though it was like on TV. But somehow, to me, it was like a six-part or eight-part or ten-part documentary. It was a ten-part. And and to that point, in the same way that I don't want you to spoil the great, I didn't spoil The Last Dance for you because you didn't know what was going to happen. And (laughs) you wanted to know. Michael the Great. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't know that he... I mean, I just... I can't believe we're all giving Sean a pass on like not knowing what happens to Russia. But anyway. <laughs> he knows now. Russia yeah. Russia hasn't been in the news much in the last okay. few years. So, so and I don't know if you knew about this, but I watched the first episode or the first part of The Last Dance, which I like, they were calling them parts. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And yeah. I like, that actually did work on me marketing wise in mm-hmm. terms of how I thought about it. And I was like, oh, this is part one of like a larger whole project, which, and I think I'm probably the only person on earth who cares about that. That's like my editor brain, but that meant a lot to me. Anyway, watched part one. It flashes and it's like the 97, 98 season. Is that the right season? Sure. Um, whichever season. Yeah. And I realized that I like actually don't know whether the Bulls win that season. Oh, and exciting. I was like, cool, I'm not yeah. going to look it up. And then I just told everybody in my not life, by you. which I mean yeah. Chris, Sean, and Bobby. I was like, yo, don't tell me what happens. <laughs> and then I, I made it like three weeks and then I spoiled it for myself accidentally by watching oh, Desktop. No. Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah, I like I, somehow I managed to avoid all Twitter, but like it didn't occur to me that desktop would also refer to them as the six-time champions. And I was like, damn it. I just got a second wave of energy thinking about Last Dance and thinking about like it was great, but it also the two episodes per you know per night airing, yep. Yep. the way in which it seemed to create an industry around itself, and that it reached a kind of maximum velocity where it was like. 97% approval rating and then the last 3% were like, I guess I got to go along for the ride. You know, I don't know whether you would have necessarily have dialed that up if it was like straight to Netflix in the middle of normal times. And it was just like, by the way, there's a 10-hour Michael Jordan documentary on. But that was something that I feel like I just missed so much is that capturing of a moment. Right. And we love, we love monoculture moments. We love event moments. It's one of the reasons that, as you were saying, Chris, like there aren't, not having summer movies this year, regardless of their quality, diminishes at least the fun of being a cultural commentator because it's nice to talk about things and experience things that other people are experiencing. And those moments are increasingly fleeting. And, you know, it's, it, it, it'll be interesting to see, this is casting forward a little bit, but there are, 
the post Game of Thrones generation of we're going to try to make Game of Thrones again shows are coming, assuming production can resume next year, right? Lord of the Rings show, Game of Thrones spinoff. I'm sure there are more that I'm I'm blanking on. Whatever the next Star Wars shows are going to be once they announce those. It'll be interesting to see if those even in their marketing, in their scope, uh, let alone in their appeal, if they attempt to mimic that kind of yes. uh, reach. Yeah. Or are they really like the MCU shows on Disney Plus, which is just, you know, it's hard to call something that they're spending that many hundreds of millions of dollars on casual, but they feel just like kind of nice brand extensions. You know, it, it, the Falcon and Winter Soldier seems like a smart play. I feel like it's going to be fine. And I feel like that's what it's being pitched as. You know, I mean, as I think we'll probably, take over the world. will we get Falcon and Winter Soldier before we get a Marvel movie? Well, I don't think no, so. No, because the Marvel movies are in the can. And once, once, yeah. uh, I think Black Widow will come out on November 3rd and or November 4th or 6th or whatever. Something else happening that day. No, I know exactly what I'm doing November 3rd. Oh, seeing Black Widow. Okay. Yeah. Like three times. Yeah. Like okay. all day. That's tight. <laughs> Thanks for sharing. Um, I wanted to ask you guys what you think makes for a successful television show execution in 2020. Execution like, like, or a like, like when we when we murder show. it on our podcast because it's so bad. Like we execute it. No, okay, not like that. When it's somebody, the only the, the number one example for me for this is that feels like it is. It, it would be successful in 1990. It would be successful in 2000, oh. 2010, and 2020 is Better Call Saul. That's the one show that I've stuck with for five seasons that I think in many ways has improved. Yeah. That I feel like uh, connected to the characters, obsessed with the story. Now, granted, it is still IP in its own way. And it was a on a cycle of sorts. Yes. Yeah. But still, like, that's the show that this year I was like, God damn, these people are good. They're really, really good at what, what they do. Was that your criteria for shows in 1990, though? I feel like the idea it's that like so far this is high quality Peaks, the direction right? is yeah but Twin Peaks was such an outlier like I think yeah but I think the most important like quote unquote important the St. Elsewhere's you know mm. the NYPD Blues okay. the, these were this it was the same kind of metric it was like is season five of NYPD Blue as good as the first time you saw Caruso show his ass off <laughs> and it was in many ways for Smith me was crushing for, for me the question of 2020 is is Chris Evans a better lawyer or a better dad <laughs> and <laughs> In terms of, you know, answering that question, which really is unknowable because he's Chris Evans and he's good at everything. Um, I love Better Call Saul. We'd love to talk about it. It's so much fun to be able to have a show like that in our lives. It still feels a little bit like icing on a cake to me because Mm. the cake was, they they made the cake. Everyone loved the cake and now they're just, they get to make a little more and and people are sweet on it. I think I'm in the, the, I like Saul better than Breaking Bad zone. That is very on brand. I believe that. I, I I think I do. I mean, I quit uh, Breaking Bad three times while I was watching it. So it was the great of the late 2000s. <laughs> so where's the plot yeah. against America? Yeah. Um, it paid off and Breaking Bad is brilliant. I'm not trying the, to cast aspersions. The thing that I'm, as Chris knows, if I watch it, I burn on the podcast. I was going to save talking about this for next week and we mostly will. But you're going to put it in a minute 42 of this one. Your metric. What's that? You're gonna no, put- no, no, I'm not doing that. Oh, okay. No, no. I, I told Chris I had, a, I had a take and I said I'm saving it for next week. No, it's it's that the show that I watched recently that felt like a really best case scenario show for this year and next year, and also for how my experienced it, is the Amazon show The Boys. I don't know mm. if anybody else has watched this. I, I watched season one, not season two. But pretty, we're going to talk about it more next next week in advance of season two. Um, it's based on a comic book. It's about like you know, it, it's a satire of superheroes and capitalism and fascism and religion and et cetera, et cetera. Um, developed as a film, um, then moved to Cinemax. And then ended up on Amazon with uh, Seth Rogen's company producing it, but a guy named Eric Kripke show running it. 
I think the show is really, really impressive for very basic TV reasons. You know, it is so over the top in its violence and, and cynicism that I almost quit 20 minutes into it, mm -hmm. as Chris can attest from his text messages, because I like to give him a minute-by-minute -minute breakdown of my enjoyment of culture. He loves it. His wife loves it. It's like a great thing. <laughs> What's Andy want? He's, a, he's on minute 16 of the first episode of Boys. <laughs> I, I put timestamps in my text. Um, but ultimately, what won me over and what led me to watch it a year after it debuted, but watch it the whole season, which was a tight eight episodes in like four days, was the sheer professionalism of the product. Because the guy who made this show has made like 17 seasons of TV. He made 15 seasons of Supernatural. And then he made a show Timeless uh, for um, NBC. And so it's doing transgressive things, sometimes proudly, right? And it's playing with ideas that are in the culture, like Plot Against America, basically the same thing. Garth Ennis, Philip Roth, two sides of the same coin. Um, it's big budget. There's, you know, it's franchisee. But it just hums like a machine because the guy knows how to move scenes and move characters around and keep you wanting to know what happens next and characters do the things that tv characters do where they go into a room and they have a conversation they don't ask the most important question because mm -hmm. you're going to answer that question when you cut to the scene that answers it and you just feel like you're in a car that has been well built and is driving smoothly and you know it's only an eight hour drive and so that feels like and it's on a streaming service it, that whole package made sense to me and it's probably why it got renewed for two additional seasons almost immediately. I was just going to say to you that all these, I wonder if a show could do this and I wonder if a show could do that. I do think The Crown does that. Does. Like, it gets better. Like, it's been getting better, I think, you know, yeah. in, in terms of, and I think that it shows a, that kind of underlying professionalism that Andy's talking about on The Boys, I think you can see in The Crown. Not only just in the production design and in the, the costume design and in the performances, but just in the way in which they are able to execute an incredibly complicated, difficult story. And they have a season coming. Yes. The the Crown is another example of I I put the great under the what's a successful TV show sure. because I wanted to talk about the great in comparison to the favorite. And the reason I want to do that is because the they're kind of the same thing. They're obviously both like the favorite was written by Tony McNamara and the great was created by Tony McNamara. And they are different uh queens from like old timeies, mm -hmm. you know, but basically the same thing. And it's the same sensibility. Uh, and really weird shit happens and one's a movie and one's a TV show and they're very identifiable as a movie and a TV show. But The Crown is another actual example of, there's a movie version of it. It's called The Queen. Yeah. Uh, also, Peter Morgan did The Queen and then and now he does The Crown. And I think both are great. I really love The Queen. Like one's a character study and one is a six season, like sweeping historical television show that is episodic because it has to be because at some point it just can like there's so much to argument, contain. It's like the best episodic television show going because it's the one that, where I'm like I remember that episode. Yeah. Do you know what happens at the end? Of the crown. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, I don't want to spoil anything for you. Okay. <laughs> just my time with British tabloids. I do have a sense <laughs> of what's going on. Um, but both of their and I know that it's funny that I'm suggesting those because they're both just like things about uh, people wearing crowns. Uh, I like, I, and that's apparently no, all I'm interested in. They're both in. great crowns. Yeah. Like that way you get both. <laughs> but I just, I, I find them so interesting because I like both those movies, but both TV shows give room to do everything that we're talking about. I mean, they, they have more room to contain like the plot or the history. And then the great in particular, it, it really does a TV. There are like B plots and, you know, so-and-so mm -hmm. has to go fight a bear and someone else is like in kind of a love triangle and you don't really know what's going on with them. And it is really, I think it's very hard to switch gears like that yeah. 
But also to me just reinforces that if you're going to do a TV show and you're going to make 10 episodes, that's you do actually have to use some of the you shouldn't be an enemy of the yeah. things that work. Well, yeah. that's what you're saying. Did you choose the right box? And I think that what you're describing is great because it's best case scenario for this. And in the big picture podcast that I'm sure people have already listened to, but yeah. Amanda, you made such an amazingly smart point about um, like the Mandalorian versus a potential Boba Fett movie, and the idea that with TV, if we want to, if, if your if your reason for it existing is you want to hang out with these people more and just know more about them, mm-hmm. TV show. If you've got one killer story, yeah. movie, and those are great examples to bring up because we have with similar people involved, the writer, we have a movie version and a TV version of both and both are used appropriately, right? Mm -hmm. There's the one killer story, you see it in the movie and then if you want more vibe, tone, world, context, nuance, you got the TV show. There's one other example that I think is fascinating and maybe circles the square on a lot of this conversation, which is I think the best time I had watching a TV show this year was what we do in the shadows and that started as a movie. Uh Oh yeah. And I ne- after I watched that movie, I never thought to myself, gosh, I wonder what those scamps are up to going yeah, forward. Right. You know, I ne- right. it never occurred to me that there would be a sequel movie, for example, let alone a kind of spinoff TV series. They're now through, I think, either 20 or 24 episodes of that show, almost all of which I think are great. Yes. I think it's like it's, so clearly defined what it is. And it's gotten better. And now yeah. it's Emmy nominated. And and, and it, is clear, it, like, it took the leap this year, right? A lot more people became aware of it. It got a little bit more zeitgeisty. And... Also, it's, I think, somewhat related to the kind of like FX, FX on Hulu, Hulu thing where like those three organizations coming together suddenly just became arguably the best network and they have most of the shows we've been talking about yep. here, Normal People and The Great and a, a number of and other Palm shows. Springs. Mrs. And America. Palm Springs, Mrs. Mm-hmm. America, yeah. all this stuff. High Fidelity. They yeah. have like a new core. Now, HBO, I think at its very best is still the very best. When, they're, when they make a great show, that is still, that is the show of the moment. But in totality, Hulu and FX and whatever that corporation is now, Disney. just they cut. They, it's Disney. <laughs> uh, they, have their, they have their arms around something, and they managed to make what we do in the fucking shadows my favorite show. And it's shocking, and it, it does come from a movie. And I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. What, like, we're, what do you guys think happens in the all, future? We're all just stuff? flowing, man. We're all just <laughs> all one. What, what happens in the future? I, I don't know because we we need them to go back into production. And when they go back into production and then, you know, we have this conversation this time next year and Lord of the Rings is out or it's rolling out or there's a Game of Thrones prequel that's about to come out. I think we'll all look back on this conversation and be like, wasn't that quaint when we thought a thousand flowers would bloom and that mm-hmm. we were returning to television production know-how and everything was going to be, there's three plots in this 45-minute episode. Enjoy. See you next week. Also, treasure things like I May Destroy You because pandemic or no pandemic the bulk of of things being greenlit the bulk of things that are either in production or going into production or being talked about or being developed are based on movies uh-huh. i mean almost everything is based on ip but we are fully in tv's sort of big budget era and any i mean i, I speak from personal experience here any movie that is controlled by anyone that has a streaming service or a network or a studio is being developed things that you wouldn't even believe that you didn't even understand why there were movies, let alone why they should be a 10-part series. They're all being developed, and they're all coming, and they may rewrite the paradigm for us, but this idea of distinct entities, certainly what will remain distinct, hopefully, is the storytelling possibilities of the mediums and how we use them. Those will, that will give us the best adaptations, whether they're what we do in the shadows or Fargo or, or The Crown. But 
in terms of just like top line story, yeah, it, it is all one thing. Now. This has been so huge for the 14 episode look at Howard the Duck that I've been working on for the last 10 years. <laughs> and I'm just so pleased that FX has decided to put it into Fight production. Open for business. <laughs> He'll have that conversation with you. Guys, thank you so much for joining me and Andy today. This has been an epic journey through through current media. And through the heat dome. And through the we heat dome. Uh, you yeah. can listen to the first part of this conversation. Is I And I recommend you listen to every episode of The Big Picture, just like I do. <laughs> Uh, on the big picture feed, this is part two. Andy and I will be back on Monday, special guest Monday. I, I think so. Yeah, it's awesome. So, uh, is it me? <laughs> no, we, we were saying, we were letting people know we will finally it's have actually a special Bo- guest. It's Boba Fett. He, he was like, <laughs> what? Not going to do that show, but I will come on the watch. All right. Thanks, guys. Wow. Today's episode of The Watch was brought to you by the NHTSA. Everyone knows about the risks of driving drunk. You could get in a crash. People could get hurt. And that still doesn't stop everyone. You could get arrested. You could incur huge legal expenses. And you could possibly even lose your job. We all know the consequences of driving drunk. But one thing's for sure. You're wrong if you think it's no big deal. Drive sober or get pulled over.